such a beautiful and incredible testimony and just to see um, Gabby up here and dancing so incredibly and just the love and the joy and the love she has for her mum but the love you can see that she has for the Lord as well and you know I've been in um, primary um, and I've taught Gabby um, in Sunday school and she is just an absolute delight she just um, is knows the Lord, you know that she has a personal relationship with God, and you know that that's come from the prayers of her parents, her mother and father, and, um, you know, something that I always um, try to instill into my girls, even from a young age, is that you cannot know the God of your parents. You have to know God for yourself, because that's something that I found growing up in a Christian home, is that um, you can know of God, you can attend church, and you can know your parents' God, and you can... Um, you can kind of follow along on their coattails, but it won't get you through the hard times. It won't get you through the peer pressure. It won't get you through the valleys. You have to have a personal connection and relationship with your father and know that. And so I just honour you, Sarah, for just being an incredible example to your kids um, and for being so vulnerable this morning and sharing your story with us. Um, Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) My goodness. You know, I think as mums, we're, mums are just amazing. And, you know, I just, I absolutely adore being a mum. And I always wanted from a young age to be a mum. And, you know, it's, sometimes, some days it's not as easy as others. Some days it's messy. Some days you're tired. Some days you're exhausted and frustrated. But the reward of your children and the joy that they bring into your home just outweighs everything else. And, um, you know, as mums, I think it's such a beautiful part um, that we play. I think sometimes we can kind of um, miss the, um, the intentionality and the incredible gift that you are to your children. You're raising up the next generation. What you're doing right now in your home is you're preparing them for life. You're preparing them on how to walk with God, how to, how to navigate situations. And so who are you raising? You're raising ones that, you know, sometimes I'm not sure, especially when Zara comes out with her attitude. I'm like, who am I raising here? <laughs> I blame Brad. <laughs> uh, but most days I believe I'm raising brave, fearless women who are going to walk with the God, who are going to know who they are in God and their identity in Him. Amen. So we want to honour our mums today. You know, my message this morning, actually when I was uh, waiting on the Lord and asking Him what to preach on this morning, um, He took me back a couple of years to a message that I preached back in 2016. I thought, well, are you sure, Lord? I don't want to just regurgitate a message because it's, you know, it's, it's easier and it's there. I want to you know, bring a message that's for today. And though he pressed on my heart to, to bring this message again. And I think that it's quite relevant. I think it's relevant for all seasons, but I think definitely for the season that we're in. And it comes from one of my favorite books of the Bible, which is Psalms. <laughs> most, yeah, most of you know, I love Psalms. You know, Brad's all about Timothy and Romans and, you know, the Gospels, about fighting the good fight of faith and the violent and taking the kingdom by force and, and all of that. But, um, and I love that as well, don't get me wrong, but my skew is kind of towards, you know, lying in green pastures and sitting beside still waters with my Jesus is the worshipper in me. But that's why we make a good team, because he fires me up and I make him sit by still waters with me. <laughs> and so it's actually from one of the most well-known scriptures in Psalms. It's Psalm 23, which is 
the Lord is my shepherd. That's it. So can we read that this morning? Actually, before we do, let's just pray. Father, we just invite you here with us this morning, Lord. Father, we want to know more about you. We want to know more of your heart. And Lord, I pray this morning as I speak from your word, Father, you will just illuminate more of who you are to us. And Father, we just, um, I pray that you would be blessed by your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read this. So Psalm 23, verses 1 to 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever house. (laughs) We shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever forever. How can you not love Psalms? Come on. That is beautiful. And so I want to kind of break this down verse by verse and just um, bring you through Psalm 23 with me. So buckle in. We're going to go for a ride. This one is the Lord is my shepherd. You know, translated in Hebrew, this is actually translated Jehovah Rohi. Jehovah meaning Lord and Rohi meaning shepherd or actually an extended version of this is friend or companion. And so this passage can literally be translated to the Lord, my friend. How beautiful is that? Do you know that the Lord wants to be your friend, that he is your friend, your companion through life? You know, even if we go right back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden, it says in Genesis that Adam would walk with God in the cool of the evening and just chat with him, speak with him, share his day, share his life. God created us for connection and companionship with him. We were formed when God breathed breath into our bodies. He created us with that deep longing for connection with him and companionship with him. And no connection with anything else or companionship with anyone else will fill that void within us. You know, however, when Adam and Eve were deceived by the servant and they ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing and Adam and Eve heard God walking about in the garden, they hid from the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord God called to man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. Because just one chapter earlier in Genesis 2 verses 25, it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So all of a sudden they're coming to the Lord and they said, We hid because we felt shame. We were naked. And God said, But who told you? Who told you you were naked? Because you were naked before, but you felt no shame. And so what changed? Once they disobeyed God and they ate from that fruit, everything changed. Their eyes were opened to the knowledge of good and evil. They had lost that innocence. They were once safe and secure in themselves because of their intimacy with the Lord. They didn't notice their vulnerability because of the security of God's perfect love. But when they disobeyed God, they broke that intimacy. For the first time, they looked at each other without the safety of God's perfect love and they felt shame. 
and frantically they tried to cover that shame and separated themselves from God. You know, the incredible good news is that Jesus was sent on our behalf to literally become sin for us and make a way for us to get back to that place of intimacy with the Lord and through repentance and acceptance of his love and grace. But the question is, who are you listening to? Because the devil's always going to tell you that you're naked. He's always going to try and put shame on you because he knows that if he does, that it will cause you to hide from God and rob you of that personal relationship and intimacy with him. Choose to listen to God. Choose to listen to the one that says, you are perfect. You are made in my image, in my likeness. You are raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places, and you are redeemed and greatly loved. So let's think about how do we actually interact with a good friend or companion? You know, I don't know about you, but if I had a good friend here, or if I was got up to Brad and, and I, would, I wouldn't speak to him like, dear friend, I would just would like to... Um, endure my gratitude upon you and, and I beseech thee that if you would <laughs> it's like we don't speak that way with the good friends right we speak from the heart sometimes it's messy sometimes it doesn't make sense sometimes it's vulnerable but it's from the heart to a close friend or to a companion that's who God is to us and that's who he wants that's how he wants us to relate with him like a close friend you don't have to come we don't serve a religious God we don't serve an untouchable God but we serve a God who wants to be right in the midst of sometimes our in uninteresting days you know driving to work feeding the kids and getting them to bed <laughs> you know um ex- cramming for an exam whatever it is in your day God wants to be there with you He wants you to interact with him like he's a close friend. Like Adam, when he walked with the Lord and he talked with the Lord, that's the kind of relationship our God wants. Not religiosity, not that we have to come with these pious prayers and and that we have to try and be something that we're not. He just wants you to be you. Just come as you are. Speak to him like he's a close friend. The Lord is your shepherd, friend, your companion, if you'll let him be. You know, the NIV says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything. Anything. There's a, a poem called Jesus Satisfies that I'd like to read to you. It says, There's not a craving of the mind which Jesus cannot fill. There's not a pleasure I would seek aside from his dear will. From hour to hour, he fills my soul with peace and perfect love, which while rich supplies for every need, he sendeth from above. The joy which this vain world bestows have lost their charms for me. Once I enjoyed its trifles too, but Jesus set me free. Its joys will perish in a day, its pleasures quickly fly. Its mirth like mist will pass away and all its honours die. He stilled the angry tempest power which raged within my heart and bade each sinful passion there to speedily depart. Yes, Jesus is my all in all. He satisfies my soul. For me, he died on Calvary and now he makes me whole. Yes, Jesus is my saviour dear, my rock, my strength, my song, my wisdom and my refuge safe. To Jesus I belong. He is my advocate with God, my way, my life, my light, my great physician and my friend, my guide by day and night. How beautiful is that? And such a... Um, incredible picture of who God is to us. Advocate, our way, our life, our physician, our friend, our guide, our leader. You know, in his book, I Shall Not Want, Robert Ketchum tells us about a Sunday school teacher who asked her group of children if any of them could quote the entire um, 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd. 
A little four-and-a-half-year-old girl was among those who raised her hands, and a bit sceptical, the teacher asked if she could really quote the entire psalm. The little girl came to the podium, faced the class, and made a little bow and said, The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. And then bowed again and sat down. (laughs) You know, she may have missed out a couple of verses there. She may have overlooked them. But you know what? I think she summed up David's heart perfectly when she said that. The Psalm 23. It's like, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all that I want. The idea throughout the psalm is that we are utterly contented in the shepherd's care. And there's nothing else that we desire. I shall not want could be paraphrased. The Lord is enough. Is the Lord enough for you? John D. Rockefeller, the billionaire oil man, was once asked, how much money is enough? He replied, just one more dollar. Just one more. He was never satisfied. And the word enough eluded him all of his days. You know, we battle an insatiable urge in this world for more, don't we? If we're not careful, it can drive and consume you. It's like a vortex that sucks you into this black hole of comparison. And if you've been in that black hole of comparison, you know it's not a fun place to be. You know, it's a place where you can never be satisfied. You can never just enjoy the good things in your life because you're always looking for what's next and what's more and trying to keep up with the Joneses, whoever the Joneses are, or whoever they are in your world. It's like, how do we escape that? Your identity and your value has to come from God. It has to come from the Lord. So that if you should have to declare bankruptcy, the Lord is enough. If you don't get that job that you wanted, the Lord is enough. If someone close to you dies suddenly, the Lord is still enough. If you remain single all of your life, the Lord is enough. If you're never a success by worldly standards, the Lord is enough. Spurgeon writes, It's not only I do not want, but I shall not want. Come what may, if famine should devastate the land or calamity destroy the city, I shall not want. Old age with its feebleness shall not bring me any lack, and even death with its gloom shall not find me destitute. I have all things in abound, not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd." We could always want, but the righteous never. A sinner's heart is far from satisfied, but a gracious spirit dwells in the palace of content. The gracious spirit dwells in the palace of content. That's where I want to be, the palace of content. It's it's not saying that we don't have any drive or motivation or wanting to, um, to move forward and achieve, but it's just saying that's not the end goal. That's not all. And if it is your all, then you're going to get there, but you're going to feel empty when you get there. God's got to be your all. He's got to be enough for you. And then when you do get to those things that you've been striving for or or that you feel um, compelled to, to strive for, then it's going to be that much sweeter. Yeah? So let's be like that four-year-old girl who said, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all that I want. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. That first part, he makes me lie down. Do you know that sheep will only lie down if they feel totally secure? You know, sheep are very easily frightened. Does anyone know that? <laughs> a stray rabbit jumping out from behind a bush can stampede a whole flock. And one, when one startled sheep runs, all of the others just blindly follow in behind it, not even seeing what, what startled them in the first place. It's like this stampede. And when we were younger, 
We used to do a lot of road trips with my parents and we'd be out in the middle of nowhere, like in the middle of whoop-whoop, and we had these paddocks and these sheep and, you know, it was a beautiful car ride, but for us, it was like, when are we going to get there? And back then, we didn't have screens and so, you know, it was just reading a book and then feeling car sick or, you know, fighting with, with my sister or my brother on the other side. And um, anyway, something that I remember in these long car trips with my mum and dad is that we'd be in the midst of these paddocks full of sheep and my dad would honk that horn long and hard and you'd see these sheep absolutely bolt for the hills. They would be so frightened, so scared and we'd get such a kick out of it, the poor little sheep. But um, my dad was definitely the biggest kid in the car. But you know what, on the flip side... Sheep are actually, there's nothing that quiets sheep and makes them still like seeing their shepherd in the field with them. You know, like sheep, we can also be easily frightened at times, you know, especially with the world that we live in. And generally, it's the unknown or the unexpected that frightens us the most. You know, when um, we were married and before we had kids, we were living in Belimba, in a townhouse in Belimba, and Brad was working for an education company at that time, and um, he was doing some travel overseas. And so there'd be times where I'd be on my own in the um, townhouse for, you know, maybe a week or 10 days. And I've really had to um, battle with and overcome um, fear in my life. Um, There's been a fear of um, just being on my own, a fear of what people think. Um, But fear was a stronghold that I had to get victory and that I still have to daily get victory over. You know, even speaking in front of people or singing in front of people, that that used to terrify me. You know, it's funny that because the enemy will use um, your purpose and what God has purposed you for, he'll use that against you. And so the very thing that God had purposed me for, the devil tried to plant fear and doubt in my mind, in my heart to stop me from stepping out. And so just like I say, feel the fear and do it anyway. But anyway, we used to be in this townhouse and Brad would go away and sometimes I would be terrified at night. And it probably didn't help that I used to watch Law and Order SVU before I went to bed. (laughs) I remember one episode, it was horrible. There was this man living in the void between the roof and the ceiling and he was spying down on the woman um, underneath and then one day he just crashed through and, and went to attack her and that, that scarred me. Man, every time I heard a noise in the roof or the ceiling, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's someone up there watching me. <laughs> and so probably not the wisest choice. But anyway, I remember I would have my bag ready and I would go upstairs And my bag would have my purse and it would have my phone and my credit cards. And I would literally sleep with my bag next to me when Brad wasn't there. And if I heard any tiniest little noise downstairs, I had this exit plan in my mind. And so what I would do is I would grab my bag, sling it over my shoulder, and then there was a balcony off our bedroom. And so I'd go out to the balcony. Somehow I would just, like Superwoman, scale down the wall to the um, courtyard downstairs and then I'd jump over the wall of the courtyard and that's where the front street was. And then I'd go around to our car, get in my car, lock the doors and call my dad. (laughs) That was my exit plan. (laughs) And so fear really was something. I was easily frightened. And um, even now in um, our house in Cornubia, even though I've, I've come a little further in, in dealing with my fear, but Brad also goes away quite often. It's just me and the girls at home. And so I said, okay, well, I think we need some security cameras. You know, our security alarm was there, but it was 10 years old. It didn't work. And so we got some security cameras put at the front and the side. 
made me feel a little bit safer. And anyway, it's one of those um, security cameras that connects with your phone. And I have an app on my phone where if there's any motion outside, it comes up and there's an alarm on my phone and I can see what's happening. And when we had the cameras put in, Brad was away. It always happens when Brad's away. <laughs> and I went to bed and I was fast asleep. It was two o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden this alarm comes up on my phone. My phone lights up and it says, there's motion at your front. And so I quickly grab my phone. I'm half asleep. I stumble and I open up the app. And then, of course, because it always happens in these moments, that little wheel of death, that white wheel of death was spinning and spinning and spinning. It was loading. My internet was so slow. We just changed over to NBN. It's a little faster. But, man, I'm just there watching it, like, terrified. And then all of a sudden it comes up and I can see the front. And guess what was there? It was spider's web swinging in front of the security camera. (laughs) And, you know, I'm a mum, so I'm woken up multiple times during the night. I did not need to be woken up by my security cameras to tell me that there was a spider web out the front yard. (laughs) And so I don't know if it was a good idea or not, but anyway, we kept the cameras. Um, But in saying that, um, you know, we can be easily frightened, but nothing quietens our soul like knowing that our shepherd is near, that our God is with us. And it's in those moments that I am speaking in tongues. The Lord, you are with me. You never leave me. You never forsake me. I'm not ruled by fear. And you're speaking out the word of God. But there is a scripture that I speak all the time. 1 Timothy 1.7. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And no, we don't have to be afraid because just like a good shepherd, our Lord is with us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you, which is the scripture that Sarah um, brought forth before that she held on to. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Another thing that sheep will only lie down when their tummies are full. A bit like my husband. (laughs) Sorry, darling. But they need both green pasture and clean water to survive and to grow. This is sheep. And so for us, to enter into God's rest, we must be totally satisfied by him, to be filled with his word and with his presence. That's like green pasture and clean water, his word and his presence. You know, if you look at the Greek text within this passage, it uses a verb for picturing, pitching a tent or tarrying or staying or waiting. You know, if you're out hiking, which I do all the time, or you pitch a tent, which I also do all the time, and you know that you're going to be out there for a while, yeah? You pitch your tent. You're not just passing through, but you're actually, you're bedding down for the night. You're staying for at least one night. You're resting. And so it signifies a time of rest. Let me ask you, how often are you pitching your tent and tarrying in the presence of God? How long, how often are you allowing him to give you total rest? Are you so busy in such a hurry that you hardly hear his voice? For that verse, he leads me beside quiet waters. I love the imagery of this. You know, sheep are actually afraid of lots of things. <laughs> I don't know where the, um, the word scaredy cat came from, but I think it should be scaredy sheep because something else they're afraid of is fast flowing water. And so, but, but still waters actually have a soothing effect and they calm the sheep. And so the root word for quiet in Hebrew is absence of movement. How cool is that? 
And so where it says, he leads me beside quiet waters, he leads me to absence of movement. And the word lead, interestingly, in the same translation in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew used by John to describe the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so another way of saying this passage is that we are led by the Spirit to absence of movement. Isn't that cool? We are led by the Spirit to absence of movement. And that's so needed, isn't it? In this world, so needed. Let me tell you, it's so crucial in our crazy, fast-paced world to be led to absence of movement. Even if it requires getting up half an hour earlier. (laughs) And just going to that place of rest with God. You know, letting him refresh you. The absence of movement includes absence of screens. (laughs) Let me challenge you. I know some of you say, well... The Bible, I've got the Bible up on my phone, and so I'm just reading the Bible, and I just, I need my phone with me because I'm reading the Bible on my Bible app. But, <laughs> do you know, there's a thing called an actual physical Bible that you can take with you. <laughs> because, yes, you're reading the Bible on your Bible app, and you might be praying, and then, ding, you have a notification on Facebook, or ding, you get a message, and your, your mind's taken elsewhere, or someone calls you, and you're disrupted. Come on, we have to have absence of movement with absence of distraction. Come on, close the door, take your physical Bible and your notepad and just have that time with God. When Sandy preached last, she said that in the mornings, she'll just have a time of meditation with the Lord where she won't say anything. It's that absence of movement, even absence of your mind kind of ticking over thinking, okay, what do I need to get done? What am I going to have breakfast? What am I going to feed the kids? What time do I need to leave? Absence of movement. Just let, let God have some space with you. Let him speak to you because I'll tell you that those moments there are gold. What God tells you in those moments about your kids, what God tells you in those moments about your work, what God tells you in those moments about your family, man, that's so important to have that space. John 4 verse 14 says, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Let's be real. Some of us have a stagnant pond inside of us instead of a fresh bubbling spring. And yeah, that's been me sometimes too. Sometimes I've been kind of relating more to a pond than a spring. You know, but a spring is full of life, fishes and birds, amphibians. It refreshes with its pure water. Whereas, which is kind of like um, when we're led by the Lord and allow him to refresh us, we're strengthened and his life-giving spirit within us is renewed and we can refresh others. But a stagnant pond, it might have a couple of tadpoles in there, but apart from there, there's nothing really living. And you don't, definitely don't want to take a fresh and like a, a glass of water from there, do you? And so are you someone who refreshes... Let me ask you a question. Are you someone who refreshes others because you've carved out time to be still with God? Can you minister to others out of that overflow? Or are you someone who is always in need of refreshment from others drawing from others because you're not seeking God for yourself. Let me see, say husbands and wives, are you constantly depleting one another, trying to suck dry each other because you're so thirsty and it's just causing friction and it's causing arguments and it's causing discord when really the one that can refresh you totally and completely is God. And then once you're refreshed in him, come on, then that makes that, that whole relationship so much more Um, there's an anointing of ease then because you're not trying to suck from each other what only God can give you. What I love about this scripture is that the shepherd went before the sheep and he searched out the places of rest. The sheep had to follow him. Notice that the implications of the psalm is that the sustenance is only discovered as the sheep follow the shepherd. 
God will lead you to quiet waters. It's his promise. He'll lead you to green pastures, but it's your choice to follow him. Verse 3, it says, he restores my soul. There's an old English shepherd's term called a cast sheep. Has anyone ever heard of that? A cast sheep? No, we're not really a shepherding country, are we? (laughs) And so this is the sheep that's turned over on its back and it literally can't get back up again. It happens frequently, apparently. And when it does happen, all the sheep can do is lie on its back with its little legs flaying frantically in the air. (laughs) Sometimes it's bleating, other times it's just kicking its little legs back and forward. (laughs) And if the shepherd doesn't arrive soon, the sheep dies. How sad is that? That's one of the reasons why a shepherd's constantly looking over his sheep, counting them, making sure they're all there. And if one's missing, he thinks, one of my sheep is cast and I've got to find it. That's that thought behind the the parable of the 99 sheep and that one went astray. But many times a shepherd will search for hours for a single sheep only to find it on its back lying helplessly. He'll turn the sheep over on its side, rub its little legs to restore circulation, lift it to its feet and after a while the sheep will stumble and stagger and then eventually walk steadily and securely. (laughs) Poor little sheepies. But I think that's what, what David kind of probably had in mind when he said that he restores my soul. Because that's how God treats us. We stumble, we fall. Sometimes we're that little sheep laying helplessly on our back with our little legs kicking in the air. And then God comes and he's our patient shepherd. He comes and he's tender and he's helpful in getting us back on our feet. You know, I read the Gospels and I see the tenderness that Jesus showed towards sinners. I see how he restored Peter's heart after his denial and the compassion that he had for those that he healed, the time he spent with the woman by the well. He always had eyes to see the hurting and the broken. and He always had time to spend with them, to restore them. We have such a loving and caring father. He doesn't leave us with our legs flailing in the air, crying out, but he picks us up, he holds us in his arms, and he restores our soul with his beautiful grace, incredible mercy, and he puts us back on our feet again. There's a quote by Spurgeon. It says, Do we feel that our spirituality is at its lowest ebb? He who turns the ebb into a flood can soon restore our souls. Pray to him then for the blessing. Restore me, O shepherd of my soul. Is that how you're feeling this morning? Maybe that your spirituality is at its lowest ebb. Maybe you're feeling a little empty. Maybe you're feeling like the cast sheep, like you can't get out of where you are. Come on, let God come. The one who can turn the ebb into a flood is here this morning. Restore my soul, O my shepherd. Verse 3 says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, sheep have a tendency to wander off on their own directions, which is why they need a shepherd to keep them from wandering too far from the flock, from going from somewhere dangerous. So Bishop Bill Hammond um, says, the banana that gets separated from the bunch gets peeled and eaten, kind of talking about having an independent spirit and and, and acknowledging that we need each other. We need um, connection. We need accountability. And so we also, we need a shepherd who can lead us in paths of righteousness. And our Lord does just that. Notice our shepherd's not a driver, but he's a leader. He's not standing behind us with a stick saying, go on, do this, do that. But he actually goes ahead of us. He leads the way for us. He prepares the way for us. It says in 1 Peter 2 verse 21, For this you were called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Following his steps. None of us are righteous of ourselves. We know that, yeah? Not righteous of ourselves. We all sin, 
We all fall short. But the good news is, is that we're made righteous because of what God's done for us. Sacrifice that he made because he became sin. He took on our failings where we fall short so that we can walk in his righteousness. You know, when you make that decision to follow Christ and to receive him as your Lord and Savior, you're absolutely spotless in his sight. Then you just have to make sure that you stick close to your shepherd to know that you're going to stay on that right track and follow after his righteousness. Verse 4, they, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> it sounds quite grim, doesn't it? I hear David speaking of the trials and tribulations in life. He probably did walk through the valley of the shadow of death, actually, because at one point, Saul's men were actually um, were searching him down to try and kill him. And so even though it sounds a bit dramatic, David probably did walk through the valley of the shadow of death quite a few times. Um, but, you know, in this life, we're not promised that there won't be any tribulations, that there won't be any trials or evil, but we're promised that our mighty shepherd is with us and we don't have to fear evil. It's actually in the, val- in the valleys that our life in our relationship with the Lord can strengthen and become more personal. Have you found that? In the valleys is when relationship with God can grow deeper. It's in those, those moments where you don't know what else to do. We've walked through many valleys with many people as pastors. And you see that really test their connection, their intimacy with God, their relationship with him. And you kind of see them either go one of two ways. They'll either go down the path of running from God or they'll go down the path of running to God. In those valleys, let it be a place where you run to the Lord. Let it be a place where it deepens your connection with him and your heart with him. Rather than letting those dark valleys distance you, let them draw you near to God. There's a beautiful valley song called Hold On To Me. That, what, that song, Hold On To Me. I'd love to sing it for you this morning. Is that all right? If you know it, sing along with me. Hold on to me. I am weak without you, I can't breathe without you, but I can make it through if you hold on to me. When my life is broken, still your arms are open, your love can make me new. You are my everything, I run into your name, Jesus. Jesus, I know my world is safe forever in your name. Jesus, Jesus, my God is stronger. He won't let go of me. Christ, my Savior, faithful through eternity. My God is stronger. He won't let go of me. Christ, my Savior, faithful through eternity. Such a beautiful song. No, if you didn't hear the the word that I spoke about um, praising through the valleys... If we have that on podcast, I would encourage you to listen to it because it's about letting praise. Sometimes when you're in that valley, it's the only thing you can do. Literally, you don't know the words to put together. You don't know what to say or what to do, but you can just lift up a voice of praise. Like that song, Lord, hold on to me. I'm weak without you. I can't do this without you, but I know that you hold on to me. 
thy rod and their staff, they comfort me. You know, when a shepherd's out in the field with his flocks, he carries very little with him. Today's shepherds, do you know there's actually shepherds around today? Uh, in the Middle East. They carry a rifle. They've kind of upgraded from the staff. <laughs> they carry a rifle. They carry a rifle and they carry a staff and a small knapsack. You know, in the Middle East, the shepherd carried only a rod and a staff. And the, the rod's kind of like a slender club. You know, like the Flintstones, they had the clubs. <laughs> That's how I think of it. The shepherd le- learns from childhood how to throw it with amazing speed and accuracy. It becomes his main weapon of defense for himself and his sheep. So he uses it to drive off predators like coyotes and wolves and cougars or stray dogs. In the brush, it's used to beat away snakes. But it's also used for discipline. And so if a sheep wanders away or approaches a poisonous weed or gets too close to some danger, the rod is thrown to send it back to its flock because it's easily frightened. It's like, ah, I'm going to back to my safe place. And so it's kind of, it's used, yes, to fend off, but it's also used to discipline. And the staff, on the other hand, is a long slender stick, often with a little hook at the end. And the shepherd will use the staff to guide the sheep along a new path or through a gate. He doesn't beat the sheep. He kind of nudges them along. And at times the staff might be used to get a sheep out of danger. So, you know, pulling it up from the water or freeing it from thorns. Proverbs 3.12 says this, For whom the Lord love, he loves, he reproves or disciplines, even as a father corrects a son in whom he delights. I delight in my girls. I love my girls with all of my heart. Sometimes I love them so much it hurts. But when I do have to discipline, and can you imagine disciplining those two girls <laughs> with their big, big eyes and smiles and curly blonde hair? And it's like, when I do have to discipline them, I know that I'm doing it out of love because I know if I choose to discipline them, in the long run, it's going to benefit them. I'm not going to royal, raise spoilt brats who know that they can just get whatever they want in life if they stamp their feet and, and throw a tantrum, right? So it's the same with God. The Bible says discipline brings wisdom. God loves us so much, so much he sent his only son for us. But in the same way, we have to be teachable. We have to be moldable by God. Sometimes he loves us so much he won't let us stamp our feet and throw a tantrum and give in to us, Yeah. Who's tried that with God? (laughs) I have. (laughs) He wants the best for us, and he knows that he wants to protect us. And so we need to find comfort in that protection, in that discipline, in that guiding hand. Verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. This is a bit of a strange scene set, yeah? Picturing a table laid with a banquet prepared by the Lord just for you with all your enemies surrounding you. (laughs) It sounds like an interesting dinner party. But the meaning behind that is even in midst of times where you feel surrounded by the enemy. And those enemies can be within. It can be your own thoughts. It can be um, limiting thoughts and beliefs, fears, anxiety. Or it can be enemies from without, those who'd like to see us fail, those persecuting you. Even in the midst of those enemies, God provides us with a feast, with food, with peace, with comfort, with protection, if we'll take that time to be there. You know, Spurgeon adds this thought, prepare us to table just as a servant does when he unfolds the damask cloth and displays the ornaments of the feast on an ordinary peaceful occasion. Nothing's hurried. There's no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door, yet God prepares a table and the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. 
Oh, the peace which Jehovah gives to his people, even in the midst of the most trying circumstances. Isn't that true? I've been in circumstances where it's been in the valley, trying times. And I remember going to uh, work one day when I was working um, in the powder room before we had kids. And Karen kind of said to me, because she knew what I was, I was walking through, and she said, I don't understand. How do, you, how do you just have peace about it? How are you so calm? I said, well, I know, know my God, and I know that no matter what happens, no matter the outcome, it's okay. I trust him. He is faithful. And so even if it's a bad outcome, I know that he's going to give me peace to get through it. If it's a good outcome, then I'm going to celebrate and enjoy it. When you have the peace of God that surpasses, it surpasses all understanding, like his word says. People don't understand. People who aren't Christians actually don't understand it, that you can have peace in some of those situations. You know, those um, incredible stories of parents who have lost their children because of, um, because of a shooting or because someone is, has uh, murdered them, and yet they come to a place of forgiveness with those people, and they're able to come and say, I forgive you, and I let it go. And people are just like, what? How could you do that? How could you forgive that person? Or how can you have peace? And it's like, when you know God, when you know the one who is the giver of peace, it surpasses all understanding and it calms your heart and your mind and you're able to get through. It says his peace will still our hearts. It's like that leading beside the still waters. It says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Does anyone know the origin of anointing? It's actually really interesting. It's not what you'd think it would be. The origin of where we get the practice of anointing people with oil is actually from a practice of shepherds because lice and other insects would often get into the wool of sheep and when they got near the sheep's head, they could burrow into the sheep's ear and kill the sheep. And so ancient shepherds would pour oil on the sheep's head and it would make the wool slippery, making it impossible for insects to get near the sheep's ear because the insects would slide right off. And so from this, anointing became a symbolic um, of blessing and protection and empowerment. You know, in Bible times, people were anointed with oil to signify God's blessing or God's call or purpose on that, on that person's life. For example, a person was anointed for a special purpose, to be king, to be prophet, to be a builder. You know, it's important to note that anointing shouldn't be, shouldn't be viewed as a magic potion. Like when you're anointing, it's like, bing! Now you can just do anything you want and, you know, everything's going to be easy and you're just going to flow through life. (laughs) That's not what it is. Anointing, the oil itself doesn't have any power, but it's only God who can anoint that person for a specific purpose. And so if we use oil, it's only a symbol of what God is actually doing in that person's life. After Christ left the earth, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now all Christians are anointed and chosen for a specific purpose in furthering God's kingdom. In 1 John 2.20, it says that. But you know, I love the significance of the picture of why the shepherd poured the oil over the sheep and then how it relates to us today. Because it says here in scripture that we're all anointed. We're all chosen for a specific purpose. And so if we're walking in that anointing and purpose, then like the sheep who had been oiled, it makes it really difficult for the enemy to get into our ear, to get in and to whisper defeat, to whisper depressive thoughts, to plant seeds of fear and anxiety and depression and and doubt and ultimately kill and choke out our purpose. David himself was anointed when he was a shepherd boy to be the next king, but his own father didn't even consider him as a candidate. Imagine that. 
And your father, the, the priest comes and is coming to anoint the next king. It would be such a big event in their family. And David's father brings all of his sons up and um, he, he, the priest comes and he goes through them and looks over them. And then he looks at the father and he said, son it, do you have any other sons? Like, what's going on? Like, well, do you have one other son, but the runt of the family you know he's just out in the he's out in the, the field just looking after the sheep and the priest said bring him bring him in so da- david comes before the priest and he says yes and he anoints him as next king what that shows me is that it doesn't matter how others see you or even as how you see yourself you might see yourself like david like the runt of the litter like you can't you know, you can't speak eloquently you can't get up and do anything or you know you you think that you're stupid and that you can't um, put two words together but you know what god sees you god sees your potential and he speaks to your potential and what he's created for you that you have a unique destiny in him a calling that god has just appointed just for you don't settle. Settle for anything else. Settle for an easy, uninterrupted life. And choose to get all in, to be all in, to go after what God has for you. Verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness and mercy will not just follow, but actually actively pursues us. More accurately reflected in the meaning of this word is follow, is the Greek meaning to search for eagerly, to track down, to hunt for someone. What an incredible thought that God actually will not let us hide or wander off from his goodness and mercy, but they actively sniff us out and hunt us down until they overwhelm us. It reminds me of a story with Brad. He was flying from Asia to Cairns. And they suspected when he boarded his flight in Asia because he was in his business attire. So, you know, his jacket and his um, suit and he had his, it was a Sunday, he had his um, laptop bag with him. And so everyone else on the flight from Asia to Cairns on a Sunday is not dressed like that. And so he kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. And so they, um, but when he left the flight in Asia, they actually called up the um, security in Cairns and they said, we suspect there's a guy on board who is carrying drugs on his body, just so you know. So when he gets off that plane, be ready. And so poor Brad, he's just worked, you know, a week, he's had a really hard week, he's flying from Asia to Cairns and then he was getting on his flight from Cairns back to Brisbane back home to us and all of a sudden he's met with like six security personnel and sniffer dogs and then they send back and they say get it get it go on go on (laughs) and so these dogs are jumping up on Brad and trying to sniff out sniff all of his luggage and and obviously they found nothing but afterwards they said oh we you know we got a tip off from the guys in Asia that you were carrying drugs in your body so we just had to you know check it out But it reminds me, that's what God's goodness and mercy is like for us. It's like they will overwhelm us. They will pursue us. They will sniff us out and overwhelm us with his goodness and his mercy. (laughs) When the scripture talks of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, we have to be aware that this is just our temporal home for now. Sometimes we can lose sight of that. And it's not healthy to always um, focus on that, that this is that you know, the eternal home and just that's all you think about and that's all you focus on because God has a plan and and work for you to do here while you're here. But this is our temporal home. We're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
speaking of living with God for all eternity. And if you allow the Lord to be your shepherd, he promises eternal life with him. In Revelation 7, verse 16 to 17, speaking of eternity, it says, They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat from the Lamb in the center of the throne will be... Sorry, not any heat, for the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Speaking of eternity, you know, that has so much more meaning when you've lost someone that you love, doesn't it? Knowing that that's what they're experiencing right now, that the shepherd is guiding them to springs of waters of life, and God's wiping every tear from their eyes. Let me tell you, just as we finish this morning, what a shepherd does when he buys his sheep. He takes a large, sharp knife, and each shepherd has a distinctive earmark that he cuts into the ears of his sheep. In this way, even at a distance, it's easy to determine whom the sheep belongs to. It's, an easy, it's not an easy thing to do for the shepherd or for the sheep. But from that mutual suffering, an indelible, lifelong mark of ownership is made that can never be erased. For us, we're being bought the shepherd's blood on Calvary. The mark that we bear that God etches into us is the cross. Jesus stated emphatically, if any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So every time God looks at us, he sees us through the lens of the cross so that we are justified and we can live in friendship and companionship with our good shepherd. It's a sad fact, but I think one that's true is that many people who never actually submit their lives to Jesus in obedience still try to claim that the Lord is their shepherd. They seem to hope that merely by admitting that he is their shepherd, that they'll enjoy all the benefits of his care without ever being marked. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What a difference that little word, my, makes. It's all the difference between joy and sorrow, purposefulness and meaninglessness, eternal life and eternal death. You know, a famous actor was once the guest of honor at a social gathering where he received many requests to recite favorite excerpts from various literary, work, literary works. An old preacher who happened to be there asked the actor to recite the 23rd Psalm. The actor agreed on the condition that the preacher would also recite it. The actor's recitation was beautifully intoned with great dramatic emphasis, for which he received lengthy applause. The preacher's voice was rough and broken from many years of preaching. His diction was anything but polished, but when he finished, there was not a dry eye in the room. When someone asked the actor what made the difference, he replied, I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. Do you know the shepherd? Do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Is he your friend? Is he your companion? Is he the one that leads you? Is he the one that takes you to that place of stillness and rest? Is he the one in those valleys that walks with you, that never leaves you or forsakes you? Let's be like that four-year-old girl who says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. There's nothing else. Let me tell you, there is nothing else. 
And I know many of you can testify to that this morning. You've tried other things. There is nothing. There is nothing like having a personal relationship with your Father, the one who created you, that loves you eternally, that wants to spend eternity with you. Can we just close our eyes and pray this morning? Father, you know each and every person sitting in this room. You know them intimately, Father. We thank you that you are our good shepherd, that you promise us that you will be with us in every situation, in every moment of our lives, through the highs, through the lows, through the valleys and the mountains. Father, that you are our good shepherd, that you lead us, Lord, that you comfort us, that you still within us any anxiety, any stresses. Lord, that your word says that you lift off burdens. Father, that we can come to you and Lord, that we can find rest. Lord, this morning, Father, I pray for each and every person. Lord, that they would find an intimate, personal relationship with you. God, one, Father, that, that doesn't require religiosity, one that doesn't require them to be someone they're not, but just as they are. Father, they come to you this morning, Lord, that they are received by you, that they are approved by you. Lord, that your goodness and your mercy chases them down. Father, you would be to us this morning, that beautiful Father. Lord, I pray for any here, Lord, that don't know you personally. Father, this morning that you're tugging upon their heart, Father. Lord, that they would come to know you personally. Father, they would walk with you through life. Lord, that they would be able to know you, Father, the one who can bring them, Father, through those places, Father, to a, a place of wholeness. Lord, restore their soul. Father, bring transformation to their heart and their mind. I thank you, Lord, that you're a God that laid down your life for us, that you didn't with hold anything from us, but Lord, you gave everything to us so that we could stand here this morning. We could say, my God is my shepherd. That's all I want. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, just flow through this house this morning. Lord, touch each and every one. Thank you, Father. We make space for you here. Lord, we're led by the Spirit to absence of movement with you. Restore us in your presence. Fulfill us with your word. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Jesus.